Hello and welcome to the Nomi Key Show. I am Nomi Key Konst and the absolute worst is over for now. Donald Trump's effort to overturn the election finally crumbled last night. His own head of general services, that's a thing that I just learned about, set the official transition of power in motion. So Joe Biden can start planning his government in a normal way. Well, more normal or less normal, as normal as anything can be when Donald Trump is involved, of course. And that is important because if we just breathe a sigh of relief and move on from this calamity, we, have, we will have learned absolutely nothing. If we are complacent, we will have learned absolutely nothing as a movement or as a country. This is not like waking up from a nightmare that we can just pretend did not happen. Donald Trump, of course, really did happen, just as George W. Bush happened to us. Remember him? Nearly 74 million Americans just voted to keep Donald Trump in office, whether they loved him or tolerated him. Now, some of them are hypocritical conservatives who wanted their tax cuts and their drilling rights. But millions of Americans voted for Donald Trump, not because they are conservative or Republican or care about the capital gains tax rate. They voted for Donald Trump because they're angry. That was the message of 2016. And I don't really think it went away. These are folks who felt abandoned by rich and power, a rich and powerful country that only seemed interested in running up the profits of Silicon Valley robber barons and free trade profiteers. Does that sound familiar? The economics of this country are broken. We can't go back to the status quo ante the way things were before the pandemic. That will not stand. Frankly, it was a full-blown crisis before the pandemic. It was a full-blown crisis in 2008. We either move left or we will continue to be dragged further right. And let me be clear, when we say left, we need to clarify the left means pro-working person. It's not some theoretical divide where the far right and the left are the same. We know that and we need to be clearer in our messaging about what the left represents, what they're branded as. Trump was, was misguided, but you know he was a powerful attack on many of the same challenges that we see. We have to demonstrate our solutions for ending an exploitative, ruthless, uncaring economy that only benefits the 1% of the 1%, the bad guys on the Monopoly board. We have an opportunity to illustrate that we have better solutions than Trump's red meat and red hats. Do not ever forget that the first legacy of Donald Trump is that he showed the right how to blast through institutions. Look how close he came to overturning this election by one vote in Michigan, one brave Republican election commissioner, Biden's victory in Michigan was certified. By one vote in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, one brave Republican election commissioner, Biden's victory in Pittsburgh was certified. Anyone who thought that it cannot happen here will wake up and nearly did. Now the next Trump may well be Trump himself, or another Trump, or the next Trump may be someone smoother, more palatable, more seemingly sane and considerate, although I think Trump was smoother than what the elitist Republicans could represent. He wasn't smooth talking, and that's what folks love. So the threat is not over. There are millions of angry, yes, mostly white voters, looking for some sort of redress of their grievances. They aren't going away, they're not dying out. No matter how serious they inflict their COVID-denying death wish on the country, they're not dying out in the next few cycles. You don't have to agree with them to understand how dangerous the situation is right now. There are things that Trump stands for that we need to fight uncompromisingly. We will not accept militarized policing. Hear that, Joe Biden? Or racial injustice. Hear that, Joe Biden? 
or climate compromises. How do you compromise your way out of a tornado sweeping up your house? Or pandemic bailouts that don't support regular working period people. Hear that, Nancy Pelosi? Hear that, Mitch McConnell? Hear that, Joe Biden? But if we create the programs that help those working people, we will be helping many of these very same angry Trump voters. And the danger of Trumpism, the danger of fascism will melt into air as Americans of all sorts go back to good, well-paying, protected jobs. Enjoy their Medicare for all. Get cleared of crushing debts. Get proper schooling and free college or other post-high school education as they choose. That America will tell the next Donald Trump to get lost, which is why my greatest fear right now isn't the continuing mischief of Donald Trump, is that Joe Biden and his crew of incrementalists will misunderstand this moment. We need bold economic change, not tinkering, not fixing the institutions. The technocrats who think about markets instead of people have got this all wrong, Mr. President-elect. Old thinking from Obama days won't get us there. The soaring stock market is not a measure of a good economy that benefits its workers. It measures how well corporations are doing to make those profits. The more they share with workers, the less they profit. Get it? This is so rudimentary. But I need to keep repeating it, especially as the wealth and jobs become more concentrated and fewer and fewer and fewer and bigger, excuse me, companies. The health and well-being of our people can't be measured by the Dow, Dow Jones average. It cannot be measured by the Dow Jones average. Do you hear me, Mr. Biden? If we want a progressive America, we have to show the country that our solutions, our solutions are better than Trump's for working people, which is just what we want to talk about on the show today. <laughs> so Doris Landa Verde, excuse me, uh, she is a worker, an organizer, a union member at Harvard, one of those big institutions that fuels the rest of the institutions in this country, in the world. She is a worker who's organizing in response to the administration's response to COVID. Shocker, it was not good. We'll be talking to her first. And then later, Josh Fox is in the house. We will be talking about whether bringing back John Kerry signals progress on climate. You know, even Rupert Murdoch, yeah, that Rupert Murdoch understands this better than Joe Biden. So uh, stay around. We are going to be talking about that. Uh, but first, we're going to go to Doris Lavanda Verde. All right, welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. Our first guest today is Doris Landa Verde. She is a union organizer, a labor organizer, an activist. She immigrated to the United States from El Salvador in 2000, and she has been a custodian at Harvard University since 2006. And she's an elected steward uh, leading the activism in her union, which is SEIU 32BJ. Uh, this is just some crazy stuff is happening right now. Um, but I, I, I would love to talk with you, Doris, just about the union organizing that's happening at Harvard University of all places. <laughs> Uh, in 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 the middle of a pandemic, because you know, folks, we talk about workers, we talk about frontline workers, we talk about what it means to protect workers, even as as Democrats. Um, but I, there are some extraordinary injustices that are not making national coverage um, at all institutions in regards to COVID. So, Doris, can you tell us what happened uh, at the start of COVID at the university? Uh, yeah, you know. Uh, I work uh, uh, 
and Harvard for almost uh, 15 years. And it's the first time we're dealing with uh, the pandemic. You know, it was hard time when we received the news in March, I think the 10th, like everything will change. Students will leave, we left Harvard. And, you know, was, um, was so scary time. Just, just go back, I, I feel like I was a nightmare. Thinking about, you know, I don't know how to explain you, but it was so hard, you know, even Phyllis Carroll even show up to work because as a custodial, we know we had to disinfect everything. And we have a family, we have children. I have my daughter, she, she, she have issues with asthma. And when the, you know, when this start, the people have problems with asthma is that the people are fragile to the virus. And, and I was so worried. And this is just example of many, many stories The the people work at Harvard University. You know, we start cleaning rooms because students left. The campus was empty and we need clean uh, uh, rooms because uh, the university need seven, uh, seven, I think 700 or 600 rooms because we have the international students. Oh yes, right. Yes. And we're happy to do, you know, we understand and we're happy to help and clean those places because, you know, the students, they, they always support us and we understand students. If, if we don't have students, we don't have a job. We really, you know, we have that connection with the students and we're happy to work for them and we're happy, you know, to help them. The only things we ask to Harvard is give the right equipment to us in that moment, like mask, right, like right. goggles. Because you know, when we hear in the news is how how people got sick, we got discouraged too. We are a human beings. And for me, I I was so upset when I come into to my supervisor and ask for mask. In that moment, I start feel like the chemicals we use for disinfect are so strong and, and start suffer allergy in my throat. Uh, and I just want a mask to protect myself because if the virus no, is not hurt me, but the allergies will, you know, will kill me. Like many effects. It's, it's, it's yes. not just the virus itself, which even at this time, people weren't even aware of like how it was transmitted. And, and so, you know, you're, you're on the front lines. You didn't know if you touched a surface, you could get it. But then the chemicals, of course, have, have great, great consequences, especially if you- Yeah, and, and have the answer for her, oh, I don't have mask. You know, you don't have to use the chemical, but I, I had to take that, the hard decision you know, because if I not use the chemical, the chemical is for disinfect, how, how I will keep the community safe? So it's, it's, it's like we had to, to take the, the hard decision 
even she told, I prefer use the chemical, even hurt myself, because I think I, I was, was talking to me. This? this was your supervisor, or is this the uh, uh, Yes, my supervisor. And it was so disappointing. You know, it made me so, like, mad in, 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 in the way, you know, we we are a human beings, you know, like and, and I start call, make, you know, contact with the students. And I remember uh, some students donate masks to us and, and help and, and and I really appreciate those, you know, like the connection we have as a community. And I have a friend, her name is Jenny she started a, a campaign. She, she make a post in Facebook and, and you know, as an immigrant too, because anti-PS holder and also the, the Trump administration hurt us too in the way they want to send us to our you country. Have, you have temporary protected status. Yes. So he, he has been under attack since day one of his administration. Yes. And and she and she started the, the the campaign like say oh TPS holders are in the front line and I remember that story coming viral like like COVID like I remember I received many tweeters that night everybody like was a huge campaign like help us you know Harvard. When, when people come and ask Harvard, oh, why you not give masks to those people? It's like now, I, we have a mask, you know, but we had to fight him for that. And, and I think this is... It's mind-blowing. I mean, it's because, is it because the administration just didn't want to pay the money? I'm, I'm very confused because they protected themselves. You know, the president of Harvard went in and he's socially distanced himself. He operated from, from home. You know, they didn't have to go and... What is their excuse? They say they know have, and, and, and they say this hard font mask. But I think after that, I found out that they donate masks to the hospital. It's not made sense to me. Harvard University want to donate masks to the hospital, but they not give to custodials to dining hall workers, to securities, because here is not just custodial. This is affect all essential workers are in the front line. And, but they have masks to donate to the hospital. We know and we understand it was emergency in the hospital, but at the same time was emergency in the, in the university because we had to disinfect for keep the community safe. But at the same time, we don't have the support we need because we need support, you know? So, like, so you started to organize, um, you were one of the campaign leaders and, and how did the administration respond? And when did they respond, I guess, is, is another question. Yeah, I think, um, uh, uh, when they start receive, you know, those uh, interviews because many uh, media interested to writing about that, you know, 
we start put uh, put pressure with the union. Anytime they don't want to give, we call the union, we organize and we say, okay, you need to give masks. And they start, you know, uh, bring, <laughs> we're laughing because in, in, in the first moment, they just bring uh, some masks like they make of, uh, you know, the material they use for, for socks. <laughs> and I was like laughing and say, how Harvard can give this to us? First off, their endowment is so big. Harvard, I mean, you talk about the international students being uh, stuck there. International students have to pay so much money to Harvard. They, it's not like they don't have the money. Yeah, yes, it was like, you know, I was thinking in that moment, Lara of us, we can sew. Why then, if they can fund, you know, they pay us, why they not bring custodials and buy the material and, and, and we can make the masks? If, if, if this is excuse they can fund, I believe they can, they can buy the material and, and, and we can make our own mask, you know, even because I feel this is just excuse. Like if they work, you know, I would like uh, the management understand sometimes how to work together with the workers and look solutions. If they, the, in that moment, was hard to, for them to find masks, why, why not coming with the workers and say, we can work together, we can make, you know? But I feel like we don't have that support and, and this is was, you know, was so disappointing and, and I hearing stories like from people in some places still don't like uh, companies not give uh, a mask. I, I hearing many stories for uh, dining hall workers. They fighting a lot just for have a mask. Even to this day, even at this point in the pandemic where the supply chain has caught up and, you know, and, and, and the costs have gone down too as a result. So, so, so what is, is the union doing in response in pushback to the administration? Is, is there a conversation about a strike? Is there any conversation about withholding labor in any way until you're adequately protected? You see, now it's hard. We are in the table and we are looking for, say, the jobs for workers uh, Harvard coming with a policy, they they agreed to pay uh, to custodial until June 30th, the 70% of the check. Uh, but they they no want to do the same things for outside companies. Like Harvard have many custodials, but those custodial no work directly for the university. They work for some contract, and they, uh, you know, they don't want to protect them the same way they do it for us. And we feel this is no fear because they do the same job we do. And, you know, it's hard now, I think, go to a strike because Harvard will be happy if we if we say we strike, you know, because they will save a lot of money 
I think that way we we had to push us like this. I think share those stories in the media, like parents uh, have uh, kids in the university, understand the issue, understand they pay a lot of money for those kids studying Harvard University, but the way Harvard University treat workers is no fear. I think now the, the way we can push Harvard is spaces like this and bring those stories and say, what Harvard doing now is no fear. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they, they, we are, I think 700 custodian, mm -hmm. but they, they don't wanna give protections to 200 workers, 200 custodial. So it's, it's no fear. It's, it's, and, and you know, we rally in the, in the last couple weeks, but the same time workers start scary because uh, the, uh, you know, people got sick, the cases right. are grow up. Mm -hmm. And this is something like, it's like, we, we feel we are tight, our hand is tight to continue to do that, but I, I hope, you know, it, with this more people can get involved, like write the president uh, of Harvard University, write the vice president, say what are they doing is no fear. Say why, why you don't wanna protect all those workers. They are a custodial, they work for 20, uh, 20 uh, to 25 years in the university. Wow. Why they don't wanna give the same protections like they protect their own workers. Like, I mean, even if they're being selfish, what's so ridiculous about this is even if they're being selfish, they should still protect workers because it has an effect on the community. I mean, we college towns across the country have had spikes you know, a few months ago in particular, because of, of, of the COVID rates. And, and then it all, I mean, yours, I don't know how many students are, are going to classes right now, but you have students going to classes and, you know, who, and, and, and there you're on the front lines of, of students who, who, and I'm, 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 I'm generalizing right now because there have been some reports that there are many universities where some students, some students, not all, of course, go out there and are, you know, not protecting themselves inside or outside, but that's not at every university, it's not in every school, but there have been spikes in small towns that are university towns. And now you're on the front lines. So it just doesn't make sense to me that the university, at least at this point in the pan pandemic where there's no excuses, would not protect its own workers. I think, you know, even if they're thinking of the bottom line, which is just horrifying and ruthless and heartless, there's still this other aspect where if they're thinking selfishly, they want to protect themselves. Why not? It takes everybody, you know, it takes the whole community. Doris, um, you told us some, some ideas about what to do in terms of writing folks, but is there anything else people can do in support? Yeah, I think, you know, the way, like I say, uh, we can do now is if we can have the opportunities to share those stories like, like this, I know this is, will be coming out and a lot of people will see what is custodial dealing and not just custodials. Uh, I think we have uh, dining hall workers, we have security too, we are in the front line and we are dealing the same issue because my story is one of the hundreds. And, and bring those to the community 
because like you say, Harvard have a lot of money. It's the university's most famous in the in the world, you know, rich in, in like the way they they treat workers, you know, it's it's no fear because it's very important, like you know, everybody we need the job. And and and, and what do we wanna show you to Harvard is we are just one, you know, we know our outside contract, we know our Harvard directly, we are just one. Just mm -hmm. yes, one union and we are unit until the end and we will continue push. And like you say, people please, if can write into Harvard uh, president and say what are they doing is not right. The vice president, the different things in the school, uh, this is will be great. The board and, of trustees. Yeah. <laughs> Doris yeah. Verde, thank you so much for, for joining. Best of luck, uh, solidarity, support, and um, be well. Stay safe, of course. And yeah, thank you for giving give me this opportunity to share uh, what happening with Custodial and, and everybody in Harvard. And, and yeah, thank you. Thank you for, for this. Thank you, Doris. Doris Landeverde, um, continue solidarity. Welcome back. Uh, so I wanted to share a personal word about former New York Mayor David Dinkins, who is the only mayor that is African-American in the history of New York City. Uh, he died last night at 93 years old. Uh, he came from Harlem. He knew everyone. He always had a handshake and a hi, buddy, <laughs> where others saw a city of strife and division. Uh, Dinkins saw a gorgeous mosaic. When Dinkins was greeted with anger or hate, and he was often, it's New York, he returned calm and yes, with love. The world changed since his heyday. He may look old fashioned now, and certainly his brace of Harlem political partners, Basil Patterson, Charlie Wrangell, Percy Sutton, the legendary gang of four were way male, uh, even though not at all pale, which is important for all of New Yorkers. But none of the changes in New York politics take away from the importance of Dinkins as a pathbreaker the first African-American elected mayor of America's largest city. Somewhere today, I fully expect that Dinkins is holding a party clubhouse meeting with Basil and Percy, probably trying to figure out who to run for district leader. <laughs> so progressives, uh, when, when we are up there as well, wherever that may be, uh, we're gonna have a lot of folks to challenge to and a lot of debate. Uh, keep on keeping on, Mr. Mayor. All right, we'll be right back with Josh Fox. You want to take on the establishment, support progressive media. That's it. That's my entire pitch. <laughs> I just came from the majority report and we talked about an importance of a nuanced uh, foreign policy strategy, not just takes, not just uh, anti-strategy, but a real thoughtful you know, form of leadership when it comes to foreign policy. And all of us sat around and said, well, where is that coming from? Where is that coming from? We can only name a couple of names, but we thought of a lot of really brilliant hosts in independent left 
media. This is why it's, it's so important to support shows like ourselves. Uh, as you know, we launched right before COVID. It has been our patrons who have kept us going. And of course, all of you in the chat, all of you who tune in every day, if you're not already subscribing, make sure to click subscribe, make sure to click that bell to know when we're going live with specials. And uh, if you can and are able to, please join us on patreon.com slash the Nomi Key Show. If you can afford even more, it's a great gift. If you want to indoctrinate your normie friends and family over the holidays and you want to give them a good gift, five bucks. You don't have to spend 23. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, you could gift them with a membership at patreon.com slash the Nomi Key Show. And you know, we've got swag there. We've got uh, special interviews. We have one up right now. We're only going to put a piece of it up on YouTube. If you get the full interview, the full interview, if you're on Patreon. All right. So um, our next guest is the one and only Josh Fox. He is a dear friend of mine. Uh, he is a film director, playwright, and environmental activist. Uh, he is the artistic director and founder of Wow Company. He is also, of course, an Oscar-nominated uh, filmmaker, director of Gasland, The Truth Has Changed, How to Let Go of the World, and Awake. And he is now the host of Staying Home on the Young Turks. That is where I'm an alma mater of. All right, Josh, I want to um, quickly just touch on this thing because there's a lot I want to talk about, but I want to start off with uh, a New York Post editorial on John <laughs> Kerry. Oh, boy. The last graph paragraph uh, says... Well, I'm just going to read it to you, okay? <laughs> read it. Because it seems like there's a new alliance between the left and Rupert Murdoch, and there's more to that. But, quote, the only conclusion you can draw is that Biden, having vowed to make fighting climate change a top priority, simply wants someone who will look like he's trying hard, but won't actually get anything done. Hmm. Of course, um, the Murdoch family, uh, one of the sons, I think, believe it's James Murdoch, is... Uh, He's been a pressure point in terms of climate in the Murdoch like world because he's married really? to a climate activist and whatever. Um, I mean, like, I, okay, so I did the majority report just before coming on here, and there was just this point of tension in which um, even on the left, it was like, well, what did you expect? And then just like hands up. That was my interpretation mm-hmm. of everybody else's theory. I'm like, well, didn't you, did you expect something better? It could have been worse. But my theory is this is the moment when we apply pressure and we don't back down and we organize and we use union power. It's not just having the squad calling folks out. It's not just having Bernie Sanders and Warren looking to them to lead the move. Like we, as, a, as, 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 as movement leaders and activists and organizers, need to apply real theoretical and thoughtful pressure in places where we can have achievable wins. And I feel like right now people are exhausted. I feel like they're confused because this is like very processy and they just look to a Bernie Sanders to save us. Mm-hmm. Well, I think right now you're right. I think that um, I was on the phone earlier today with Dr. Sanders Steingraber, who is a great friend of mine and a very important leader in the fracking movement. And she was like, I have to go, go, go right now. But I've been traumatized for four years of Trump and I'm just exhausted getting to this moment. Right. And I think that that's very true of a lot of people. Right. We're in this moment where we have to just engage. And yet. It is a very difficult moment to engage, having just gotten to this precipice, right? I mean, the John Kerry pick to me is an obvious one. He's the former Secretary of State. He's a guy who, you know, has a huge standing in the world, and he's a diplomat, and he's a smooth talker. He's been everything from a rebel on, you a know, on talker, really? Yeah, I mean, come on. I well, mean, more on. than just like somebody. You and know, there you like, go. You're who's going to ruffle the ruffle the water? Go. More than. Well, no, but what I'm trying to say is that 
it's obvious to me to do something like this, right? Rather than to pick someone who's actually going to be a re- have a revolutionary take on all this. What I'm really worried about right now is that we just saw yesterday Jeff Bezos drop $800 million on some of the most conservative and ineffective um, environmental organizations, right? So it's a very similar type of- Let's talk about who? National Resources Defense Council, NRDC, who were not on our side from the fra- on the fracking fight. Environmental Defense Fund, who was practically a subsidiary of the fracking industry. Um, the, but it has the, the word environment in it, Josh. What are you talking about? I, uh, it's like a um, green logo. Uh, uh, the Nature Conservancy that has right. been, uh, you know, many, many, many problems there. Um, and uh, the organization that I founded and was kicked out of, the Solutions Project, which is uh, an organization that was failing after it abandoned its grassroots mission and now has been bailed out by Jeff Bezos. So what I worry about is um, what the New York Post is saying, but at the same time, the Sunrise Movement um, and, and others have come forward saying, well, we've worked with John Kerry and we understand his commitment. Okay, whether or not that means- Hold on, hold on. Wait, I'm not finished with my sentence. This is how Whether or not that means, well, right, that's what I'm saying. Whether or not that means- Where's their money coming from now? With all due respect, you don't compromise with John Kerry. You pressure John Kerry. There's no compromise with institutional terrorists. I'm not suggesting the movement should do anything else. This is the moment where we have to go and hit the ground running. We just withstood four months of what's called punch the environmentalist. That was the entire last four months of the Biden campaign. Run to the center, run to the right, punch the environmentalists, punch the hippie, punch the Black Lives Matter movement, frankly. And that's what they do. They punch left. And when every time Kamala Harris got on uh, the television and said, well, Joe Biden's not going to ban fracking, Joe Biden's not going to ban fracking, it was as if we were being, I felt like it was being punched in the stomach. And the bottom line is, um, we have to have organizations that are going to be the thorn in the side of these people every single step of the way. We have to say, no, that's not good enough over and over and over and over and over again. I'm not saying that, um, I, I, that John Kerry is a good idea. I'm just saying it's on brand. You know what I mean? Okay, listen, there's a lot of institutionalists that they could have gone with that were not extraordinary elitists. who didn't take private jets everywhere. who don't have 25 mansions and private islands. They don't, I mean, literally, like, I get that he was secretary of state and this, and like, it's U.S. policy to recognize climate change is the greatest threat of all time. Obviously, that was the policy 10 years ago. But are you kidding me? Like, we, well, I mean, why not? I, what I don't understand is why not pick somebody on the front Al line? Gore. Like, no, no, how do this? If you're going to go institutionalist, just go with Al Gore. Like, I, I, take I, him, I, I mean, it's the that. least you could give them. Al Gore is at least Al Gore is at least uh, you know been on the front lines of this for a very long time. Why not pick Bill McKibben? Why not pick Naomi Klein? Why not pick? Oh, well, she's too Elizabeth? dangerous. She's why, too dangerous. Why, she, why, why not pick somebody who has cred? You know what I'm trying to say? Of course. In the movement, um, but right now, what I'm seeing with environmentalists is a real danger of being do, of carrying water for Jeff Bezos for Elon Musk, for Eric Schmidt at Google, and for Michael Bloomberg, frankly. All people who were who have been shoveling money towards the environmental movement, but not towards the effective parts of the environmental movement. Let me just say this, right? Nomi, you know this. I, all across the, the this nation, 
there are literally thousands upon thousands of mom and pop environmental organizations, people who get together at, on Sunday at 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock and they have you know, breakfast with each other over their farm table, over their kitchen table. I'm not talking about people going to brunch. I'm talking about people who are sitting in on the front lines of the of the environmental struggles of this country, whether that's uh, folks uh, in, in central Pennsylvania who have no money or people out at Standing Rock. There are people who are committed on the front lines who are doing the work. Those are not the big greens, by and large. That's not yeah. the Sierra Club. That's not the NRDC. That's not the, uh, the Environmental Defense Fund. I love their members because they, uh, you know, they, they are the best intentions. Also, they have the best intentions. But, but the truth of the matter is everybody understands there's this, uh, you know, nonprofit environmental yes. big green structure that is, all, that is also being pushed all the time by the people on the ground. The Illinois People's Action Committee, or, or you know, I can name off a, a thousand of them, literally because I've traveled to visit all of these groups over the last 10 years. For some reason, those groups don't get the funding, they don't get the credit, and then a big group, a big green, will swoop in and take credit for a victory that really happened on the ground. So what we have to do is not only be steadfast, but we also have to find a way that those groups are getting some credibility, getting some funding. Right. Sunrise rose to the top because they were very vocal, they were very loud, they were very flashy, and I do believe in them. I do think that they have a, a very strong commitment to what they're doing. So when they say, you know, we work with Kerry, he was okay. I have a tendency to want to give them, a, a, you know, the benefit of the doubt. But at the same time, you know, not to just attack the thing that they were a part of creating. Because don't forget, like Bernie Sanders, AOC, John Kerry, um, uh, and, and the Sunrise Movement were in there with the Biden campaign on these transition squads or whatever they were called, right? Transition Team. teams. And, and they created that climate policy. And for the last three months, I've had to go say, look, Joe Biden has a $2 trillion climate plan on the table. And that's more radical than anything we've ever seen yeah. from a presidential candidate any time ever. They have to follow through on it. Right. And so 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 here's um, let's just talk about the nonprofit industrial complex, because, you know, I, you know how I love to assess institutions and I am biting my tongue a lot right now. And, and like you can feel it in my energy. I know the chat is feeling it in my energy right now, because even on the majority report today, when I had criticisms, I didn't want to name names because I do think that they're acting in good faith. But read some effing history. History repeats itself. Even 10 years ago, we went through this with Obama. I'm not talking about, you know, revolution land or Rosa Luxemburg with the Democratic, you know, the, 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 the liberal Democratic Party that like kicked her out when she was too revolutionary. And then they went more centrist. And then there you go. They got the rise of the Nazi Party. Very basic overview. I'm talking about Obama era. When you don't pressure during a transition team, this is yeah. what you get. And if you don't pressure the right way, and if you don't move the energy of the moment of the movement in the right direction, I was very critical of putting all the energy into Biden being, uh, excuse me, in ter terms of um, Bernie being labor secretary, because I felt like people needed a direction and they wanted real tangible goals. And there are way more tangible goals, even if it's like less, if even if it's who's staffed under, uh, under the envoy, whatever department. <laughs> like this but Bernie's from, Bernie's a senator from a Republican state. Is that, that even just, it, it was, it was a horrible idea. I don't know idea. that that would even make sense because you no, would I, tip I, the balance in the Senate. Exactly. I mean, whether it's the Senate or the fact that he would be caged in as Robert Reich was, and we've talked about this on the show extensively. The point I'm trying to make is when you assess institutions and you follow money and you see how little by little it chips away there's that old there's a parable about the the frog boiling right doesn't even realize it's being boiled 
after time. That's Washington. That's, that is what happens when you're not checking yourself constantly. When we're afraid of checking our allies even for pushing us in the wrong direction. When we're afraid of checking our allies for taking money because they just need to pay their bills this month. And no, so I mean, that's- I made an, an I, I spent three years making a film called Gasland Part Two, which examined Obama's and Biden's relationship to fracking, right? So Barack Obama has, he is the person who made fracking a deal in this, Amer in this America. That is the bottom line. He inherited it from Dick Cheney, but he's the one who went and ran with it, okay? Right. Their entire stimulus, stimulus plan was fracking. Their environmental plan was fracking. Their clean power plan was to diminish coal and accelerate fracking and fracking for natural gas. And they planned out 700 different frack gas power plants all across this United States to bring us the next generation of energy power, right? What, so remember, their foreign policy, burning. by the way, which is important and their foreign and related policy, to this John Kerry which, situation. It's, well, but <laughs> yes, because he was Secretary of State while they were pushing fracking in Eastern Europe as a Cold War gambit against Vladimir Putin instead of what they should have been doing, which was to get out of the fossil fuel game altogether and defeat the fuels of tyranny. Remember, if it's fossil fuels, it's going to be tyranny okay if it's whether it's the tyranny of george bush saudi arabia vladimir putin or whoever or, you know saddam hussein it's going to be tyranny but that's because that's what those fuels do if you counter with a real marshall plan on renewable energy a green new deal you wouldn't be competing for energy future with vladimir putin in poland you wouldn't be doing that that's the, that's the, what's really bothering me right now and and i have to say this out loud this is something that I have to say out loud. The New York Times will come after me if I say this, but I'm so, I'm so sorry. Saying that it's a conspiracy theory that Hunter Biden was working for the number one fracking company in the Ukraine is nonsense. It is absolute nonsense. When the Trump administration came after Joe Biden for Hunter Biden working in the Ukraine for a fracking company, it was true. Well, here's he the was thing. working here's the thing about for that. a fracking company. Without going down, and hang on, hang on, hang the hang only hang reason hang he had that job Josh, is Josh, because Josh. he was the vice president's son, and it hang was on, American Josh. foreign policy yes. to push fracking in Eastern Europe. No one is disputing that, including the Biden administration. Never disputed that. They never actually countered and said that's not true. What they were saying, and I, without going down the rabbit hole because this is the past now, right? What they were saying was that it was some sort of conflict of interest. At that time, it was not. I'm not. I'm not done. I'm not defending it. Right? Like the Trump administration is just like one giant conflict of interest. What I'm saying is that was, was the Trump administration. It was a conflict he, of interest. Hang on. He wasn't in office at the time. So what the Trump administration was trying to do was elicit that there Who was wasn't in office at the time. He took the position after Joe Biden left, um, left uh, the vice presidency. So that's whatever. I don't want to go down like the Hunter Biden conversation because okay. there's a lot of reasons. Right. But, that's a fair but, point. But I agree with you in that we have to acknowledge, you know, not every attack against the centrist. I mean, if it's done by the right. That's why I use that New York Post clip because I thought it was, I read it and I was like, I hate the New York Post. They've gone after me. They've lied about me. Like I despise them. But this is actually accurate. Their critique of, and in their like New York Posty way, their critique of John Kerry being the climate envoy is spot on. It's not because it suits their benefits. It's because it exposes hypocrisy, which is their thing. It could have been a left, could have been Dave Dayan writing this. It could have been Glenn Greenwald writing this, well, probably more like Glenn Greenwald, and, and, and then it could also be the New York Post. And that's kind of this situation is they disarm us by having the right wing go after us. In terms of institutional stuff, though, I really do want to touch on this because, you know, you've been front and center. If 
you know, institute organizations, activist groups are the ones that take this energy. A lot of them are membership based. Some of them aren't. Some of them are, 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 you know, top, what is it? Uh, top roots, grassroots, whatever it's called. Um, grass tops, grass tops. Thank you. I was trying to think of it. Um, a lot of them are grass tops. So they're not being fueled from the bottom but fueled from the top. Um, and they drive energy of a movement, energy of critique, energy of how far things should be going. And they drive money away from organizations that possibly want a more radical um, mm -hmm. shift. And so I think what you're saying is, is really important. And, and some of these groups five years ago, 10 years ago, were, were grassroots organizations, but because they got to pay the bills, because they need, they want political power. So we have to keep our eyes on even our allies because i mean i just look at this 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 channeling all of our energy into labor department as just a giant misstep and and by the way the people at the table in the transition are not necessarily the most like activisty folks so we are putting all of our energy into trusting people just a couple of people look we knew what we were going to get right we knew what we we're going to get we we're going to get obama's third term okay that's what's happening right now that's what the democrats Wants. That's what the Democrat thinks wins. Guess what? It did win. We lost. But it doesn't mean that we go and just say, oh, that's all great. No. Exactly. This is the moment we go on offense. We've got that's, the ball. Thank you. We thank go you. on offense right now. That's what we do, right? It was during the Clinton years when the, when the anti-WTO protests right. started. Right. It wouldn't have happened under George Bush. We were too busy protesting a, a, war. the Iraq war yeah. when we're in with, you know, look, when we get the Republicans in office, we go on defense because we have to start talking about kids in cages. We have to start talking about wars that they're going to start. We have to start mm -hmm. talking about all the, the racism that they're going to fuel in the streets. Now that we have the Democrats in office, the centrist Democrats, it is our moment to pursue our agenda. That means a ban on fracking. That means real climate action. That means um, protecting... Uh, areas that means enlarging national monuments that means making sure that wildlife is protected but it also means that we understand that this new alliance between the mega capitalists what yes. i call the invasive capitalists who create monoculture all across this land th right. listen the way an invasive species goes into a field what happens is that invasive species takes all available space and it That's chokes right. the That's life right out of all the native plants. It chokes the life out of all the diversity, all the biodiversity in the yeah. forest. And what this capitalist regime does is it walks into empty spaces or full spaces, places that we used to love that are now closing because of coronavirus, and it inserts a Starbucks, it inserts a Walmart, it inserts Chase a Home Bank. Depot, it inserts, and it, it inserts a Chase CBS Bank. This is Chase what Bank I call... Yeah. I call this invasive capitalism. I'm just making a movie about it now. And the idea that, but, but that is not a climate plan. You can't, if you, if you have Starbucks and Walmart powered by uh, renew, solar panels, it is, you know, not the future that we need. Oh, but they because, banned plastic straws. That's our favorite thing. To say. Well, but this is, there's a movement <laughs> afoot to, to, to pay. Look, Amazon yeah. is the, all you need to know. The man called his company Amazon. His new company is called NRDC. His new company mm. is called Environmental Defense Fund. His new company is called the Nature Conservancy. His new company is called the Solutions Project. That's what 
he's going to do pave over the Amazon and capitalize the environmental movement. And what are they gonna do when the Amazon goes down? Oh, well, they'll just plant the ocean with kelp and that will take the carbon out of the atmosphere. So you see what I'm trying to say here? You'll stabilize the climate and you'll kill the planet. That's what worries me. I don't know that that's possible, but, but, but I think that that's their mentality. But because that's Amazon absolutely their the- mentality. So yeah. that is what we were talking about earlier today. It's not just the stretch, stabilizing the climate, killing the environment, stabilizing the institutions of this country that have been dismantled by Trump, but killing the country. Like in in return, you know, no Uber CIA operative policy is going to get us out of this disaster. It's just going to make us. I mean, I said this on the show last week. Well, the movements are being infiltrated at every level, right? Okay, so so there's three major ways. Wait, wait, wait! wait. I want to play something real quick because this is important. Very important point you're going into. Hold that thought, Um, Dorsey. Can we play that the clip on CNN with Jamal Bowman? Uh, So, based on Biden's elections so far, uh, do you see anyone that's progressed? enough for you well first let me say off the top thank you so much for having me uh when i hear names like rom emmanuel uh being floated as part of biden's cabinet considering the fact that he covered up the murder of laquan mcdonald uh, in chicago considering the fact that he closed over 50 elementary schools and 30 mental health institutions uh it's incredibly alarming and and He's gone. That's the story of me on CNN, too. They were, like, sitting there with me, and they're like, and here's your new contributor. Oh, did you just say you're not endorsing Hillary today, but in a month? Oh, bye-bye. Yeah, well, you <laughs> or know, you on I mean, MSNBC. We know the story. Me on MSNBC. Um, yeah, I mean, we've talked about this. I mean, I, 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 uh, uh, I wish uh, a very telling thing just happened. Ariana Picari, who uh, is a producer for Lawrence O'Donnell, yeah. um, who I've been you know, talking with for a while um, because she knows of my history. Uh, and I can say this in public now because she just came out on this Andrew Yang program and said, yeah, look, crazy. MSNBC, MSNBC, MSNBC has been telling people you can't book these people, right? And I have been told explicitly in no uncertain terms by high level MSNBC people that there's no such thing as a no-fly list. That it doesn't exist. Meaning a blacklist at MSNBC. Meaning a blacklist that you can't put BS. And I've been told explicitly. explicitly We have one. High level, (laughs) high level people at MSNBC. That of course there was a no fly list, right? So we have confirmation from somebody who's actually just taken an extraordinary brave stance and said, "By the way, it's all." Control. This is not about who's best at talking on television. It's not about who's most informed. It's never about ratings. Television. It's yeah. it's it's, <laughs> it's about who will actually say what. Um, yeah, there we Thanks. go. Thanks, Dorothy. Uh, what's 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 truth, right? And uh, I'm looking forward to having Ariana on my show soon. But um, honestly. That that was pretty blatant. That was literally like the the state controlled media being like, yank, yoink. It you wasn't know, like, even like a phys- physical. Let me just, yeah. Let me let me say. Go this, back though. to your original point though. In like, terms of the off- infiltrators, right? Yeah. We're seeing infiltration at, at, at a lot of different levels. Bezos money is infiltration. That's just bottom line. Bloomberg's money is infiltration in the Sierra Club, right? Um, uh, you know. Eric Schmidt's money is infiltration. And, and what, what comes happens, with that money is staff, too, by the way. Let's be very oh, clear. Oh, hell yeah. Well, it's it comes, their well, type look, of staff. Here's the thing. When you staff up an environmental organization, you your priority 
becomes feeding the monkey. You got to feed right. that staff. You got to rig it. You got to get that money again. You got to get it back. So you're going to be in talk. You're going to talk to the, to the people who are doing that stuff. Like we're giving you the money. You're going to find out what they like, right? Instead of staffing up, what they need to be doing is paying grassroots organizers in the streets who are, and going to the, these, if the only good thing that these environmental organizations could do possibly would be to regrant this money, to regrant it, to identify, and they know who they are. They know who they are. They know they, who they are because they're the same members, right? All the mom and pop environmental organizations are members of Sierra Club. Well, Sierra Club didn't get the money, which is interesting because Sierra Club actually does do some of this, but they took Bloomberg's money, right? Yeah. So the, uh, the best thing that these environmental organizations could do, instead of hiring 50 more lawyers from Harvard, which is always or what they do. Or less, like fundraisers. They and should go into the, they got to go to the small towns in the United yeah. States that are fighting an LNG terminal, that are fighting a coal mine, that are fighting a, a compressor station, that are fighting a fracking field and say, you know what? This is your money. Yeah. You go and do what you need to do with it. And some people will definitely take that and make that a job, you know? Um, but listen, the, the, but that's not going to be in a big office building in San no, no, Francisco no. where... I don't even want to get into it because the bottom line is the San Francisco environmental mafia, as I call them, did more damage to the New York environmental movement that was real honest and real going out and gutsy, you know, just as a matter of tone. We were there to fight. You know, we're from New York. We're like getting ready to bruise. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute. Stop raising your voice. I'm like, here's what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say, the infiltration is happening in the, on that level. Yeah. It's also happening when you read things like Tiger Swan deploying. Oh, that um, was insane. Deploying Josh, Josh, Josh Roth video. I know, yeah. I know. Sorry, my, my, my phone's dying. Uh, deploying CNN operatives to literally go to CNN The moment is here. I said Tiger Swan and then it happened. You have Tiger Swan going into Standing Rock yeah. and bringing like fake. This is an intercept the, story. Read those articles in the intercept. Guys, 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 just real quick. I will do a summary afterwards um, of what happened with, with the intercept. I'll read it on air so you guys know, because yeah. uh, we're hoping to get her on, on to discuss this. So Tiger Swan is a securities company that went in there, private securities, a contractor that that does anti-insurgency um, like work internationally. Black, they're Blackwater. In, they're Blackwater, exactly. Basically. But Byers Blackwater rebranded because they've had a million different iterations. Um, so they, thank you. Thank you, Dorsey. He's on it. Look at this. Um so they they went in to break up. I mean, it's essentially here, here's the thing, Josh. But they I, went in I, to I, break up the protest. They went to break up the protest. Would folks have to like? This isn't conspiratorial. This is called union busting. This is this is the oh, this is the Pinkertons. This is the Tiger Swan. They do anti insurgency. Uh, it's buying up all the communications firms so that you know the algorithms are like manu- you know played with so that they they benefit the Ben Shapiro's of the world. But look at us, like you know people who used to be on CNN every day. Like, <laughs> come on. Now. Can, I, can I say you, something? You know, else? you know there's how a third, this works. There's a third element. Third one, right? go for it. So there's literally the oil companies and the Black Rocks, uh, sorry, the Black Waters of the world right. infiltrating the, the, the movement on the front line. But then there's another part of this, which is actually Vladimir Putin. Because RT and all of those networks spent mm-hmm. a lot of time getting cred with the environmental movement. If you were an environmentalist in America for the last 10 years, one place you could always get was on RT because RT was anti-fracking. Why was RT anti-fracking? They loved to have anti-fracking people on RT constantly. 
And that wasn't just RT. It spills over into the other people who are always flipping back and but, forth. But explain, explain why, explain why politically right. they were I'll against tell, fracking. This is a, thank you. It needs to be said. In the Eastern Bloc countries, right, Poland, Bulgaria, Romania, the Ukraine, Vladimir Putin's Russia, which is basically a petrostate, right? Russia is a petrostate. That's what they create. That's what they do. They create oil. They make natural gas. There are huge pipelines that go from Russia to those states, Poland, Bulgaria, Romania, all the Eastern Bloc states, and they are 100% dependent on gas from Putin's Russia. From, and and that, is a, that is something known. So when American fracking companies like ExxonMobil, Chevron, and Shell discovered these shale plays in those countries, right. they went in with undercover of Hillary Clinton's State Department, Barack Obama's uh, initiative, right, to push American fracking in those countries so that they would become not dependent on Putin. It was a Cold War gambit, right? Yeah. You're just fighting the Cold War through who's going to get to just supply those countries with natural gas. Are they going to do it through fracking and destroy their environment? Or are they going to buy it from Vladimir Putin? So the useful idiot in this equation is me, because Vladimir Putin takes my films, Gas and, and he starts pushing them all throughout Eastern Europe. Oh, and I'll lo and behold, you, I personally, behold, wait, real, real interesting story. I was in Greece and I saw, this is like, when did Gaslight well, came out 10 years ago? There were posters all over the radical neighborhood of, of Athens that I love hanging out in. They're 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 screening your film, and I'm like, what? I screenshot, I sent you a picture of it. Well, I connected you with the organizer. They don't understand. I mean, I, I listen. It's 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 a little it's complicated. A but what I'm saying is this: yeah. energy independence is renewable energy. Energy independence is the green new deal. Energy independence is not being dependent, and is not the choice between being dependent on Rex Tillerson or being dependent on Vladimir Putin. Right. That is that is not the choice. If you say that that's the choice, you're gonna wind up with the wrong answer. Right. <laughs> if the question is, do we wanna be dependent on American gas or Russian gas, it's the wrong answer. That's right. The there answer is, do we wanna be dependent on fossil fuels or do we wanna build know? a renewable energy infrastructure in our country? Do we wanna build permaculture? Do we wanna build the things that will create a healthy environment and a healthy planet for all of us, right? Rather than fighting with these old Cold War uh, you know, um, villains, right? So you have the villain of ExxonMobil and the villain of Vladimir Putin, the bear-baiting Bond villain, coming in and, you know, against the doughy, dimpled climate deniers. And there's the, there's the pact, right? Rosneft and Exxon making a deal in the Arctic to frack the entire place. Yeah. So what you had Putin doing, though, in America, and this is very smart, extremely smart, was to push a line like with people like Lee Camp, and push the people and push that line, which got echoed in other left-wing media. Don't forget, RT, Tom Hartman was on RT. Mm -hmm. Ed Schultz was on RT. Even Larry goddamn Larry King was on RT. Why? So they could build cred. Now the bait and switch happens. But, but hey, so wait, wait, let just, me get to the point. Let me okay. get to the point. Now I the one little thought switch. on that. Wait, one, one little thought the, on that. Let me finish. And the media part, you're going to go to something else. Just don't. We I'm wouldn't not. even be in this situation if we had an equitable media. There would be none of this conversation if the neoliberals well, and the alone. neocons did not shut out the left or, or any sort of, forget about the left. Tom Hartman, I, I mean, yes, he's the left. I'm with left. You. But, but if you gave them space instead of firing them, they wouldn't be like, well, I need to go to whatever platform I can well, get but my perspective Well, but every single time, even though I was on MSNBC, like once uh, every, a lot, during yeah. the period from 2010 to 2016, every time I was on, there was a Shell commercial. 
every time I would. Oh, of course. Like That's what I'm saying. It's so, just, it's just so, vehicles wait, of me, oil. Before I get and away, okay. before I get yeah, away from ahead, what I was trying to say, because I was about to forget it, is that <laughs> once the bait and switch happens, so you have all this Russian media, and some of which who is, I think, clearly there are infiltrators on uh, among sites that are um, very popular with the progressive left right now. Um, I'm not going to name names because I don't want to talk trash out of school without evidence, but I, uh, but people might know who I'm referring to. Um, then all of a sudden you have a new narrative get born. That new narrative was embedded in Michael Moore's movie. Okay. So this okay? is my next and question. And it has been brought out by Max Blumenthal and yeah. Aaron Maté and a whole bunch of other folks, Katie Halper are saying things like, Oh, a Matt Taibbi. Renewable energy doesn't work. That's okay, the okay, okay, okay. Wait, wait, Let's, let me just get to this. this I, is but I have a question. I know, I know. This is just, I want to ask you a very specific question on that. Just sticking with, you know, we're talking about institutions, and we'll move to that in a second because the chat wants to know. They're, like, you know, ex- excited about this, right? Sticking with institutions, there is one thing to be infiltrating. That is, like, literally putting people into an organization that have other interests. And there's another thing to stifle. And I think... My perspective on what's happening in the movement right now is there's an active effort to stifle and break apart any sort of solidarity among a more radical approach to combating any that? of the issues, any of the issues that we're discussing. Well, but, but let me just go down yeah. this a little bit further about climate change, because this is okay. really important, right? So what you saw was the fossil fuel industry fighting fracking, right, going crazy, calling us, uh, you know, saying everything they could, denialists, real denialists, mm-hmm. saying that... You know, you guys are lying. We're not actually polluting water supplies. We don't actually cause climate change. Now, that's all that debate is all done. Right now, what they're doing is saying, well, you're right. We cause climate change. We have all these problems. But renewable energy doesn't work. It's futile. It's too late. It's too late right. for you to stop it because, number one, your renewable energy doesn't work. It's dependent on us, which is not true. And they're saying, oh, well, it's too late to stop. The, the, the world is in such a bad shape already. Michael Mann, one of our preeminent climate scientists and one of our best communicators on climate, just came out with a book called, I think it's called The New, Cli- uh, the New Climate Denial, which is all about not denying that it's happening, but denying that we can do anything about it. Okay, so, so what this, you're seeing and what you're this seeing, let me just tie right it all now. together. Let me yes. just tie it all together. So here's Michael Moore's movie, Planet of the Humans, which says renewable energy doesn't work. Then in Russia's all then we the scientific community fight back and say, no, in fact, it does work. There is a way to stop climate change and it's attack the oil company. But who rushes in a whole chorus of voices, RT leading the charge, Lee Camp, Vladimir Putin, followed by Matt Taibbi, followed by Max Blumenthal, followed by Aaron Mate saying, oh, oh well, in fact, these people are trying to censor Michael Moore. They're trying to stew censorship. Okay. So let's not let's forget the fact that these these arguments were completely incorrect, scientifically incorrect. And what we were doing was like a peer reviewed paper. We were saying your science is wrong. You have to withdraw this paper. We have to withdraw this movie. Instead, you see this chorus of people on the left who have been a part of that moment saying, oh, we have to go with these philosophies because and they built trust up that's the bait and switch that's I, I, an infiltration you see okay what I'm saying? so i i i i have no doubt that there are people on the left some folks who are bad actors who've made partnerships with who knows whom to i'm not saying push, they have uh, i'm just saying hang on, hang on, i'm just saying some i, I have no direction. no doubt that there are some people i also think that there are some people who are hyper reactionary to the the um 
Rachel Maddow uh, yep, yep, ism, yep. and they just their automatic responses. I have to be against everything that the neoliberals say, even if it you know, is exacerbated. It doesn't mean that there's like a teeny bit of truth to it. It doesn't mean that we don't have recognized geopolitical threats and, and or they're just like every other country first and then America anti-imperialism to the fault of, of breaking up hegemony so that it endangers everybody. Like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm just saying that these are some of the, the personalities out there. And this actually ties into like the conversation. No, no, I'm saying, no, no, no. Jimmy Dore, I think, has something else going on. I'm saying there are folks that are just reactionary because they're so anti-establishment. It's just so well, nature. Well, I can't stand and also, to and let's, and let's just, I can't, of course, either. And let me just say, the algorithm benefits this. Let's just be real. There's a business model to these shows. It might not even be a personal philosophy. might be a little bit of that. But I hear what you're saying. I don't necessarily completely agree with all of the names. Um, with that being said, I do want to give you space. I'm not saying that they're on, all on. on the I, same spectrum. I get it. I'm not I, saying I, they're all like Russian operatives. I'm not saying that at all. I, I get, what I'm I get, saying I get, is I get that there was, a, there was a series of motifs and, and, and thought ide ideas, memes, right, that were built up by Putin's RT that started with, let's be anti-fracking. I, I get it. And then it. it was, from there, it was a glacial move. Because it was geopolitically to beneficial to them. And instead of buying Facebook ads and all the other stuff, they could just get involved with left media, which well, is just as influential. So, so wait, yeah. real quick. Um, I, without getting into the personal drama, can we just talk about the fundamentals? Because I think we have talked about this in the show before. Um, the Michael Moore movie, which let's just be clear, he was a producer of, he did not host the movie, it was this other guy, um, well, in which he, he attacked. The, yeah, he was the main he, publicist for he it. He was the main publicist for it. Um, and he did not back down on criticisms from Naomi Klein, from uh, from you, from Bill McKinnon, all of Bernie Sanders' environmental envi advisors. You know, I think it was really, I watched it and I cut it off halfway through before you pushed back, Josh. Before you push back, I watched it, having mm -hmm. been involved in my own way in New York with the climate movement, with the, the anti-fracking movement. And I felt disgusted because I just fundamentally knew this, these things were false. And I remember during the anti-fracking movement um, in New York specifically, all of these research papers that are being put forward by the fracking industry from universities, you go back a layer and it was like they were being funded by fracking companies and oil and gas <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. so, so yeah, we sure. have to sit here and like put our investigative everybody needs to like learn a little bit about investigative reporting and you just know you just know instinctively first question i had was who is this guy where did he come from never heard of him didn't know who he was did a little i, I felt well, very it would be yeah. like if i did a movie i don't know i can't even give you an example the, the, so the movie is a small the movie is a small part of the problem the problem is that there is because because of uh, uh, this type of I would say infiltration, and because the fossil fuel industry is extremely powerful at sowing ideas into people's minds. Don't forget, like this kind of thing, you, you see all this groupthink and group speak all the time. You know, right. everywhere from you know fossil fuel uh, from renewable energy doesn't work to it's too late to work on climate change to like. Taysom Hill is going to be a bad quarterback on the New Orleans Saints. You see these kinds of things get in, put into the media, and then all of a sudden people start to agree with them, right? It's that same propaganda rule. You repeat a lie enough, it becomes the truth. And that's what they're good at. They're so brilliant at doing this. That's what the fossil fuel industry did for years when we were talking about fracking. They were like, oh, you could light fire water on fire naturally. Those Trump supporters all say that to this day. They 
say Donald Trump won the election and you can light water on fire naturally. That's what they say because it's just been repeated over and over and over and over again. Right. But don't think that doesn't also have an effect on us. It has an effect on left. We're not that much smarter than any of these people anyway, right? We just have different cultural parameters. Don't think that it doesn't mean that on the left, they can't sow the idea that the world is going to end. Look, we all love that kind of thing. I listen to Radiohead all the time. The world is over. This is really happening. I'm not scaremongering. We're, we're, we're dying of a, a horrible thousand deaths of cuts. You know, look, the bottom line is this, that when we're talking about the infiltration of whether it's Tiger Swan or it's Jeff Bezos or it's Vladimir Putin, we have to retain our sanity and we have to come back home to the roots, which is those people, right, that sitting around a table discussing how to stop the industry and doing it. Because that's what I have faith in. And that's what I've seen win. I've seen it win in the Delaware River Basin. That's what started, had the New York fracking ban. And what generally happens is then a giant big green organization swoops in, takes credit for what we did, and then fundraises That's right. Of it. That's right. Thank you. Okay, so this happens politically too. Pay attention. Who takes credit for these wins and fundraises off of them? Because they're all in this like quarterly fundraising model and institutional. <laughs> and then what happens is that the real strategic act and, then, and bad actions get reinforced rather than looking at the activists on the ground who you think, oh, how did they do this? Instead, we look at what the press goes, oh, well, they have a pre their press person called me up and said that they they won this. It's 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 really it's really basic. It's just like a like basic analysis of how these movements are successful. Basic reporting, meaning basic, not like basic understanding, meaning like basic bitch. <laughs> like, like these are basic bitch reporters who are just like, oh, I'm going to talk to the press person for the organization that's claiming credit because they sent me a press release, even though this organization swooped in in the final days and took credit, whether it's Occupy Wall Street, whether it's the IDC, whether it's environmental movements, whether it's, I mean, there's so many different, whether it's the squat, like there are plenty of Cory Bush. We can't plenty lose of faith. Out there. I guess what I'm saying is you can't lose faith, right? Even though um, you know, there will be infiltration at something like Standing Rock. There will be infil infiltration like at Black Lives Matter. Yeah. There will be infiltration at every level. We suffer. And there has been right? since, listen, this isn't oh, a new time thing. time immemorial. I mean, there's infiltration, uh, at, you know, at DSA. There's infiltration all over the place. Um, the truth of the matter is, though, that we have to continue to fight for our principles. And, and the, the challenge, I think, at the moment, part of the exhaustion is just in the incredible amount of being overwhelmed yeah. that happens, right? And also how they push us to fight with each other. Thank we you. We cannot do that. So we isn't, cannot, aren't you no, fighting with Michael Moore? Things. Isn't that like you naming names like I Aramante? Is that personally part of that? to Michael Moore okay. and said, hey, dude, like, let's talk this was a mess and his uh, his uh reaction was to slam the phone down and put out a press release attacking me right that was not my first impulse i said to him listen you got to recall this film and by the way naomi klein on the record reaching out to michael moore look i know we know each other yeah. right and it was a reaching out that happened. But when that thing came out and attacked Bill McKibben and said renewable energy wasn't wasn't true, wasn't wor working, it was just weird. And trust me, I went through a lot of back channels to try to get to Michael Moore. And a lot of those back channels came back and said to me, you know what? He knows he stepped in it, but he's too prideful to walk away. 
Okay. Because he he, I, he didn't do fact checking. He just basically the whole thing took this pitch at face value. He's never been a part of the environmental movement. He says, I'm a part of the environmental movement because I took place in the first Earth Day in 1970. I'm like, come on. Sandra okay. Steingraber and I both reached out to him over and over again to say, please get involved with the fracking movement. He never showed yeah. up for us. So it, it's an arrogance there that's that's huge. That's enormous. His ego, everybody knows, right? And and it's it's unfortunate because there were things that he did that were enormous. He was a, a hero of mine, being a documentary filmmaker absolutely love the guy and then this was a mess so he decided to deal a blow I, i'm not look what i'm saying the second half of his movie about how the big greens are being infiltrated by big money is actually not wrong but when you start with the premise that you can't do anything about this you can't do any renewable energy what you end up doing is you go down this rabbit hole and you say well the only thing we can do is um <laughs> uh limit our population now Population growth, saying we need to cut our population from a bunch of white guys in Michigan, I start to get nervous. I start to get nervous. Where do they, wanna, where do they yeah. want to cut the population? Africa. Who's reproducing? It's not people in America, right? Africa. It goes back and back and over again to a racist trope, to a racist argument. And the basic premise of the film was because renewable energy doesn't work, because the environmental movement is infiltrated, the only thing we can do is cut population? No, listen, the only thing we could do is stop listening to these idiots and go back to basics of what we know how to do best. So we need the Sunrise Movement to stay true to their grassroots roots, right? Because now they're the people. And we need more policy. sunrises. No, because but, but we forget. also need people to put checks on Sunrise, right? Yes, sunrise yes, is now more because they're now the mainstream left groups and there's always yeah. going to be this shift. It's just, it's tale as old as time. You know, there was a day when like the Sierra Club was the left and like everybody moves a little bit more and more and more. The more they become institutionalized, the more they're reliant on, on grant money and donor money. And, and there's this nonprofit industrial complex. And by the way, on bartering political power, you've been so good at talking about this in the past, specifically in New York, where if if your entire model is based on bartering political power, there's a problem. Like you have to have the reason why unions are the greatest model, but also very imperfect is because they're a membership based organization that should at least the leadership should be responding to its dues paying membership that has a stake in this. If your model is based on grass tops, you don't have that. Well, uh, listen, it reminds me of the time when Sandra Steingraber and I were at Illinois. We were in Illinois. Illinois, uh, the, the NRDC, the Sierra Club, the Madigans, who were both the attorney general, I think, and the head of the, the legislature, uh, and the oil and fracking companies had come to a grand bargain on a regulations package that was going to be the example of environmentalists working hand in hand with the oil companies. It was all nonsense. We were on the ground with the groups, Illinois People's Action and uh, Frack Free Illinois and all these other groups that were saying, we've been cut out of this. We want a ban on fracking. We don't want regulated fracking in our backyard. We know there's no such thing as regulated no thing. fracking. Oh there is no such Thank God thing. that's gone now. So when we got there, the <laughs> legislature, the big greens, and the fracking companies had basically just pulled us out of the equation. We showed up with 150 people in the legislature. And I stood there on the dais and said, I will take any one of you senators on a tour of fracking in Pennsylvania. Will you come with me? Everybody said no. Sandra Steingraber sat, sat up and she said, who in this room feels excluded from this process? And this was supposed to be the big, big bargain between environmentalists, quote unquote, and the oil industry. Every single person in that room stood up. 
It was unbelievably, it was yeah. remarkable. And so the idea that we have environmental organizations, you know, yes, NRDC is going to go to the Biden White House and cut a deal. Who are they going to cut out of the deal? Us. Who are they going to cut out of the deal? The people who are trying to fight for their children's future so they don't, they don't get fracking chemicals in their water and fracking chemicals in their air and low birth weight and, and, and uh, congenital heart failure as part of a birth defect, you know, that, 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 that fracking gives you, right? These are the things that fracking you can't. Listen, <laughs> I don't even have to say this during a pandemic, but we have, we're, we're, we're all under lockdown right now because of a pandemic. The pandemic will kill, I don't know how many people, probably a million, two million people this year. Every single year, the fossil fuel industry kills five to seven million people because of air pollution. Yeah. Cardiac arrest, lung disease, lung disease. hypertension, yep. cancer. That's what the fossil fuel industry does every single year. Five to seven million people. What's the real disease? What's the real pandemic? Yeah. The pandemic is the fossil fuel industry. And it's been going on every year of my life. Right. Right. So what should we be doing? Locking that down and putting renewable energy in play. A Green New Deal is the cure for the pandemic of the planet Earth. And by the way, the coronavirus's infection rate and their death rate is directly related to how Absolutely. polluted your area There's, is. You look at the, I mean, yes, and that's what's concerning with, we have to wrap it up, but that's what's concerning about Cedric Richmond, who represents one of the most, uh, he, he obviously has been a, right. an envoy to the, the oil and gas industry. And he is also representing one of the most polluted districts, um, black and brown communities on the front lines, and also a district that's been heavily affected by COVID rates, you know, asthma that is induced by being next to, you know, it's the whether, same map. Yeah. Ben no, Jealous no, came no. on my program and he says, look, if you look at the poverty index, the place where the police are the most brutal and beating people up, the place where they're harvesting young men to put into prisons for their, their slave economy and the places that are most polluted and the places that are dying of COVID, it's the same place. Yep. And those are that's what institutional racism and environmental racism and environmental injustice is in America and also around the world. That's yep. what we have to fight back against. And what I worry about is that all of the money that Bezos, that they don't, they don't know anything about that, that John Kerry has not been to those areas, that that's what I worry about, that you're inside of a Washington bubble, a 1% bubble, an oligarchy bubble, and that that suffering uh, like people who like Mar Marquita Bradshaw yeah. and Corey Bush and Paula Jean Swearingen represent, that has to be at the forefront of where we're spending our time. So let's make sure our, our environmental actors, Sunrise Movement, don't leave those areas. Make sure we're there, right? Make sure we're bringing that truth to power. This is our moment to do so. As I said on the Interview Reform Commission countless times to some of my colleagues, these people are not our friends. <laughs> Meaning they're not going to compromise with you. They're going to yeah. compromise you. Right, right. All right. Like I'm George Carlin saying, it's a big club and you're not in it. Yeah, I'm not I was in it for a second. Well, in the meeting, I guess you could say. And then they were like, oh. <laughs> All right. Josh it's funny Fox. because it's it's like when you go to the Oscars as a documentary filmmaker. You sit it over to, it over to the side. You. You're like over to the side over there. I'm really, really, and so like, there's so this like, so there's like the, all the whole of Hollywood is right there. So great. And you're just met. over here on the side in this tiny little place. Fun fact. Waiting. 
Josh Fox and I met at an HBO party. Um, I was invited as an activist, and you were literally on the side, and no one was talking to you. I was like, I think that's like I had. I, I just watched. I was like, I love that movie. So I walked up to you. You never remember this, but you were on the side, and I was on the side, and I was in this room of like Hollywood, and so it was very strange. I, All right. I, you've told me this memory so many times; <laughs> you've literally remember. implanted it in my brain. I was uh, there with my brother and sister, which was which was an event. We don't often be together, but you could you could be one of you are my sister. I know that. Um, I was there with like participants. From, from people. A, <laughs> well, you know, uh, let's hope we get back there real soon. Cool. All right, Josh Fox. <laughs> always a pleasure. Nice long chat. Same, same um, I'm going to give special shout outs to our chat. Uh, special shout out to. Al Walski, thank you for the love. Quote, because it's the right thing to do. Very grateful. And La- Lava Q, quote, Carrie has creds picking Lieberman. Sort of. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, then we have Warren Ellis, $5. Josh, please convince Nomiki to read Donut Economics by Kate Rowworth from... ECI Oxford. I even have my glasses on. I still can't read. Also, look at what Ireland and Amsterdam are doing with Deal. Uh, solar panels on the White House 2021. Uh, thanks for the love. And thank you, Nomiki, for arranging this discourse with Doris. Absolutely. Um, thank you to you all, to everybody. We will see you tomorrow, same time, same place. Oh, we have a couple of few, extra ones. Excuse me. I'm just being completely, it's because we're over time and I'm freaking out. Uh, wear a mask. Wear a mask, of course. I'm just doing also, a PSA while you're doing it. Hang on, I'm going to do a PSA. Stop eating inside. Stop going to restaurants and eating inside. I'm not saying stop going to restaurants. Stop yeah. eating inside. The fact yeah. that, like, some for some That's reason, we're not connecting the dots. That is, like, just stop hanging out with folks inside. And, I mean, I know it's cold. Stop eating inside. Can you, I mean, like, it's it's ridiculous that, like, oh, well, there's socially distanced and there's fewer people. No, you're spreading germs around. Why do I have to explain this? No, Thanks to Professor Harvey that's K. That's what it is. Uh, bars and restaurants, yeah. Bars and restaurants. Um, Professor Harvey K, thanks for livening up in the chat with the uh, hashtag no me kids. That's what he calls them. And Mitty Doctors, I was in that chat when we were doing the Doris interview. Uh, thank you to Mitty Doctors and Jules for working the algorithms and all the likes and pushing all the likes. And huge, huge, huge thank you to our mod, Bob, for single-handedly keeping the chat room troll-free. On that note... Thank you all. Go to patreon.com slash the Nomi Key Show. Uh, that is how we keep independent media alive and well. Josh knows this very well as an independent uh, filmmaker. It is hard work. And especially when you're shut out of those corporate areas uh, where they at least used to give us a seat every once in a while, it is hard work. So well, thank you to you all and to Josh. Thank you.